Well, it's great to be with you again. If you're here for the first time, uh, you are catching us in the midst of our stewardship month. We're delighted that you can continue and begin to think perhaps in your own life as we are already engaged in that process of, of thinking about our lives in a way of being good stewards, uh, in which even this morning as we sing, thinking of that song, is he worthy? And to be able to resonate as an entirety of a congregation to say he is There is a justification in our minds, it should be in our minds, because of the worthiness and the holiness and the majestic nature of our God, that we, as his subjects, and as his people who have been created in his image, spend time thinking about what we're doing when it comes to our own, um, uh, of how we use time. And this morning... Uh, we are going to engage in this particular po- topic. And if you have your Bible, I would love for you to, to use it or your phone or whatever you're using and, and get yourself to Ephesians chapter 5. We are going to uh, walk through a text this morning in Ephesians 5.15, uh, trying to, to gain and challenge ourselves in respect to thinking about the, the idea of time. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 uh, and, and so you, you may be still thinking to yourself, why would we set aside an entire month like this to, to engage in, in, a, in a consistent and deliberate reflection of being a good steward? And let me remind you, as, as Paul had said in 1 Corinthians 4, moreover, it is required of stewards that a man or a woman be found faithful. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. There is something in the New Testament that the authors of the inspired scripture has given us to consider how we manage the lives we live because it, it is significant to the Lord. Let's look to our text this morning, Ephesians chapter 5, and let's begin in verse 15 and read through verse, 20, verse 21. Here's what, what Paul declares to the Ephesian believers there. He says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of the reverence for Christ." Now see, you can understand even in the reality of how we use our time and the way in which we uh, steward this very precious element, that there's something all over the New Testament. In Jesus' teaching, he would say often, and he said it in one occasion in the Olivet Discourse of Matthew 24, just listen to Jesus' words, who then is faithful and a wise servant? whom his master has set over his household to give him their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Jesus was always impressing upon humanity an essence of time. There was a real sense in which when Jesus served and ministered here on earth, that he was always saying as to do his disciples, you will only have me for so much time. And my time is short, and I'm going to Jerusalem, and then I won't be with you any longer. All humanity from the moment of creation, and if you can remind yourself all the way back to Genesis, of this repetitious statement, the evening and the morning were the next day. God has designed time for humanity, which means his design after, and and this gift to humanity that we live with and under the pressure of, 
is something that, that we cannot lament over as often we do when we have conversations with one another and we'll say things such as, if there was only enough, uh, it was, if there was more time this week, I would have done better with my life. I wonder if you look and evaluated your own life, how often do you, before the Lord, say, well, I just don't have enough time. There's not enough time in the day for me to accomplish everything. And can I challenge you that if the sovereign creator of the universe said that that the evening and the morning and a 24-hour day period was enough, it is enough. He has given it to us to reflect upon, to be a good steward of, but to be mindful that we are living here on earth as subjects of the eternal God. If you have been adopted into his family through repentance and faith, you are now living with a good sense of pressure that you've got to do something with the time that you've been given. You cannot, and I cannot, live somehow some oblivious, distant life where we say, well, I've got more time tomorrow. I have been with people on their deathbed. I have been with them in the hospital, seeing a person reflect at the end of their days and hearing them say, I should have spent more time, and then they fill in the blank with family, with people I love, going to church, reading my Bible, caring for my kids, making that phone call, being deliberate about about what God has called me to be deliberate about, and yet here I lay here with my time almost ending. And in their mind, it can be one of the most challenging moments in their life, and I think being a good steward will help us not only today, But I pray that it will help you at the end of your days if God calls you to live a life in which this this natural components uh, will end at one point that you will not be or I will not be that person who lays in that uh, predicament and say, if I would have just done this and used my time wisely, where you can say, by God's incredible grace, he has impacted my life that I have spent it in many godly ways that I believe that he is pleased with. That is the goal. Stewardship has this reality that we must live with, that we are not in control of our time. God has numbered your days. He has numbered my days, which means that I have to live in light of that numbering. I don't get to choose And there's a a sense of humility that when I steward my time well, I'm not just doing it so that I can feel good about me, so that I can lay on my deathbed and say, here's, I, I did do it well. It's more than that. It's not just a humility. It's a responsibility of the talents that he has given with the opportunities that arise out of my life. It is a stewardship of all that belongs to me with one single important goal. And in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, he says, that you and I may be found faithful to the God of heaven who redeemed us and adopted us into his family when you and I had no business being part of this community of faith, uh, but he has called us and redeemed us for his own Purposes. So for us to all of a sudden say, you know, that whole time thing, no big deal. Can I just remind you this morning, in a healthy way, this is a gift, and your time is limited. It reminds me, uh, of course, when we think about this, and especially on a cold day, but I've come from the north, so this is not that cold. Okay, And you're thinking, you're crazy. People in the north can be. And my reality is, it can be negative, it's negative degrees right there uh, now where my, most of my family is. So it just reminded me of a very welcoming childhood, like, yes, this feels like home. Now, I don't want it to stay very long, because now I have a new home, 
I'd like it to return back to some level of warmth. But here's something you'll remind yourself of. You went into the parking lot, you, drive, you drove here this morning, and you turned on your car. And what did you happen to see come out of your exhaust? You have all of this, uh, this mist that comes out of your exhaust, and you're driving, and you're thinking, man, there it is, and then poof, it's gone. It reminds me of James chapter 4. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And our life is much like that exhaust that you experienced this morning all around you coming out of your muffler of your car and so many others. And that's an illustration for you this week to remind you in the midst of the cold when you're driving around that what you see is, is a picture of your life. It's there and it's gone. Recently, I, I had watched uh, a, a few particular programs that were somewhat... Uh, bringing a person back in time of various components of things that happened. And the older you get, you, you tend to forget all those milestones or big moments in time. And, and it, I, I remember sitting there just thinking to myself, Josh, you are old. They're giving some illustration of internet all of a sudden when they said something like, and, and most of our young people today can't even appreciate this, of the idea of when you're logging on the internet and you just heard that, that awful sound and waiting of the dial-up internet to finally connect so you might be able to send an email. I'm thinking, I was there. Like my kids will say, whoa, dad, you witnessed that? How old are you? Time goes so fast. From the moments that your children, that God allows them to enter into this world, and all of a sudden they, they are there at certain points, graduating high school, graduating college, getting married, having children. You only remember at certain points wishing that you could have grandkids, and now you might have 20. And you're thinking... I can't spoil all of them. I'll go bankrupt. But it reminds us, doesn't it, that time moves ever so slowly, and yet at certain moments, it seems that it's moved so quickly as if it's passed us by, and we're wondering, what have I done with this? It is in this text and through these admonitions of Paul in Ephesians chapter uh, 5 this morning that I would really love us to park on this reality that good stewards are mindful of managing their time. We are called this morning as believers to consider what are you doing with your time? Where are you spending it? If it's a gift to you and to me, what have I done with it? What am I going to choose to do differently with it this year than I have in years past? Time is of the essence to our lives. And yet remember, you read these, top, these passages in the Bible and in the Psalms that say these things like, a day to the Lord is like a thousand years. And it reminds us that to God, this eternal, existent, ever-present being who has always ruled and reigned in everything that he has created, it is not a factor to him and to his ultimate plan, and yet he uses what he created to accomplish his own, uh, his own plan that will elevate his own glory. Which means when we think about stewarding our time, there's a, there's a connection point that God expects us to use it in a way that brings glory to his name. And I think Paul picks up on three particular principles that I think are helpful for us and we're going to park primarily 
on Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. I want to talk about this first principle that Paul gives to us in light of this text. And this is the principle of examination. He says, look carefully then how you walk. Now this is built on a lot of theology of the book of Ephesians, and you could look back in the book of Acts when the Ephesian church was started, and we've covered a little bit of that as as we went through the book of 1 Timothy, but you could look, and maybe perhaps if you've never read that history of the early part of the Ephesian church, go to Acts chapter 19, and you'll see all the kind of things that were going on at the beginning point of the Ephesian church. You would read much, you'd read a little bit further in Ephesians chapter 20 and 21, where Paul's admonition to the elders to be careful, because there's coming a time when there would be wolves that would try to destroy the church. There would be different kinds of teaching. There would be all kinds of falsehood that would present itself, not only from those outside the church, but from those inside the church. And we know what that's like. We've been covering the book of 1 Timothy, which is Paul writing to Timothy in Ephesus. And this is an extension even as we think about these principles. In Ephesians chapter 5, he reminds us of this. Gaze up uh, or backward just a moment. Ephesians 5, 1. Therefore, in light of all the theology and all these things he's given in Ephesians 1, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You go down to verse 14. You notice this statement. He says, therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. There is an essence where he's saying, listen, the time is now. Wake up. You cannot live in a world with your eyes or with your minds darkened by the things of the world when you have called yourself, when you have been called into the glories of his grace and through Jesus Christ, through repentance and faith. And then he gives this command based upon all of this deep and rich theology and calls us to walk worthy and to wake up. And then he says this, look carefully how you walk. Now this command that he gives to us is a command. This is not an optional statement. It's not a statement before us that simply says, well, it'd be a good idea if maybe you took a little bit of time. He is saying to each and every believer in the Ephesian church, personally and corporately, look carefully. This is a present perspective that each one of them must have of their own life. It is an active perspective, meaning this is not a one and done kind of situation. It is a situation of examination that on a regular basis you ought to make sure you're saying and being careful with where, what you're doing and why you're doing it, which is why he extends this not to not only to look carefully, but to carefully how you walk, what you do and why you do it. This, I want you to notice this. It's active, it's present, it's personal, but it's also corporate. He's speaking to the life of the corporate body at the church in Ephesus to these people, and he's saying, you individually need to make sure that you're being careful. You, as a collective community, need to make sure that you're examining not only your personal life, but the life of the body, what you're believing, and what you're pursuing, and what kind of ministries there are, and what kind of ministries need to be done, and what kind of ministries need to be canceled, and what new ones need to be started. Do all of this by looking carefully how you spend your time personally and corporately for the glory of Jesus Christ. This is this careful examination. This is this reality of putting your own life between you and God, setting yourself, in a sense, under the microscope and allowing the word of God to zoom in and expose before you the areas where you would say, man, that was a waste of time. Why do I keep spending it there? 
what am I going to do differently so that God is honored because he's clearly not honored when I do this and I spend time here or I spend time there. This is a work of the Spirit of God who indwells you, believer, who is trying to expose you and challenge you and even command you and I to put ourselves under the microscope of the word. Do you realize it's really difficult to put yourself under the microscope of the word if you don't pick up the word and use it and dwell on it and think about it and think about the glories of God and the worthiness of his, of his glory and the worthiness of his holiness and to be captivated by that in such a way that you become committed to that truth and the Spirit's using that truth and you are conformed to that truth as we mentioned even last week. And then he says, here's how you have to do it. You look carefully by putting yourself under the microscope of the word personally and corporately and actively and regularly. You do it not as unwise, but as wise. Now, he, he uses this proverbial reality that is often pervasive in various texts of Scripture in the New Testament that was built on the, the, the Old Testament proverbial wisdom that you often that is encompassed in the book of Proverbs, the wise and the fool. And you could read there, and I would encourage you, perhaps maybe a good place for you to start in your scripture reading for an entire month or for a while is to read a proverb a day with the mindset of saying, what does the wise do with their time? How are they mindful? Where do they spend it? What is their attitude like? What is their behavior like? What would be honoring to the Lord? Well, Paul picks up on this reality in Ephesians chapter 1, and he says this statement about wisdom in a couple of different areas of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 says this, which he, meaning Christ, lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And here's something that this tells us. And Paul is unique, especially in the book of, of Ephesians, to describe the mystery, that which has been concealed, which is now revealed, is a person. It's Christ. He has lavished on each believer through the adoption and into his family, through repentance and faith in Christ, he lavished on us wisdom and insight because we look to the life of Christ and say, that's how you spend time. That's how you spend it wisely. That is a life that brings glory to God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul is giving an expressed prayer to the Ephesian believers, and he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. If where you spend your time and you assess and you examine all the places where your time is being spent. And you honestly before the Lord take responsibility. This is a big problem, by the way, in our own culture, if you haven't noticed somewhat regularly. Is people tend to have this reality that they excuse their lives because something came up or someone did something to them or Whatever it happens to be. Do you notice that taking responsibility for your own life these days appears to be out of vogue in the culture? Like responsibility, it can't be you, brother and sister. We'll find somebody to pin this on. When you and I stand before the Lord, you will be completely responsible. And no one will stand there with you but you. That's it. I will not stand beside my kids and as much as I love them say, oh, but, but you know what? I mean, that was partly my fault, Lord. 
I cannot take the blame. I have to take responsibility for what I do with the time that I have been given, and so do you. And for us, this lavished wisdom and insight that has been given us a revelation of the mysteries of the knowledge of Christ. He prays that our hearts would be enlightened. That's how you pray in respect to wanting to use your time wisely, that our hearts would be enlightened, that we would use our time in prayer to say, God, I cannot do this by myself. It is going to be, I must be enabled by the Spirit of God to see the significance of even the very truths of God. He goes on in Ephesians chapter 3, prior to these chapters in Ephesians 5, and says this. I love this. He says this statement in verse 10 of Ephesians 3. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Let me say this. Church, when we sing together, Is anyone worthy? It is him who is worthy. It needs to change the way we both personally and corporately think about the time that we have been given by the Lord Jesus Christ because Paul says it is through the church that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. It is through the collective communities at large that exist of of really, of true, repentant, and genuine believers of all these visible presence of the universal church that collectively in their communities have to take serious that it is through the church that Jesus Christ has died for that the rulers and people of this world who live in rebellion ought to look at a community of people who are so infatuated with the glory and wisdom and insight the mysteries of Christ, that they live carefully and wholly and watch how they walk and conduct themselves in the lives that we live so that our bosses, our friends, the teachers at school, the friends you, are at, you have at college, the professors, the people in the community of the chapel and beyond, that they say, now that is a different group of people that the church would, would demonstrate and display the manifold wisdom of God himself. We must be people who commit to steward our time in that kind of way. This proverbial reality that we, that we see in the Old Testament, the wise and the fool. The wise individual who, who lives his life with a God-centered, with a biblically-minded worldview that says something that is so out of place in a culture that is, that is, been, is depraved and filled with sin. They, redeemed people ask this question and take it seriously. What does God say about this? What does God think about this? And what does God want us to do about this? You realize that the world filled with sinners who have not chosen to repent and be redeemed and be called by, by, by the calling of the Spirit of God, they don't ask those questions. They don't think about where they're spending their time. In fact, they do the exact opposite. They say, let's party it up because we're not going to be able to do this forever. Let's spend it well. Let's have fun. And then they'll come at some particular point in their life where they are confronted with that reality of where they spent your time. See, you give time to what your heart determines is valuable. Which means that when you evaluate where you spend your time, you will be able to see what you value. And if what you're valuing is not what God values, then adjustments need to be made into what you're loving, which will then follow suit into changing where you spend your time. It's not just a commitment this morning for you and I to go away and say, you know what, I'm gonna catalog everything that I've been doing and I'm just gonna make sure that I spend my time in all these particular areas well. If you don't value the things God values, the byproduct of it is either using the time well 
in a wise way or using it in an unwise way, which is exactly the reason he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Are you living with that kind of God-centered perspective? Perhaps for a time period, you need to grab a notebook and a journal of some sort, however you decide to do it, and begin to catalog where you are spending your time down to half-hour increments. Every time that I do this in my life, I see all kinds of pockets of time that could be used better. And that doesn't mean, by the way, on the alternative, that, you know what, you can never enjoy a time of being still and know and know that he is God. See, you have to build into your time not only the things that are wise for you to be active in, but you can be active in your mind even as God is giving you a restful perspective. That doesn't mean you don't want to, I don't want to go, you to go away from here and says, well, you know what? Pastor says we can't take vacations anymore because that is a foolish waste of money and time. No. Don't you want to enjoy the time that he's given? Yes, you want to use it productively, examine where you're not using it productively, but also build into that examination. Are you slowing down enough to even reflect? You know what, that's part of one of my problems as I look at my own life, is I'm ready to go, go, go. And sometimes I don't want to be like, be still, still, still. And take time to reflect and take time to think about where I have spent the time that has been so graciously given to me. Consider perhaps categories of where often time is spent. I don't think these will be totally foreign to you and I. How much time do you spend on movies and entertainment? How much time do you binge watch on Netflix and Amazon Prime and what other kind of venues there are. You can't even name them all. And most of the time when you say them, like, who made that word up? Where are you, how much time are you spending being immersed in a culture that is dispensing on you less than biblical ideology? This is a big one, and it has been for a while. But all this entertainment, because we have a culture that is so infatuated with, with, in a sense, distracting people from what matters the most. What about video games? I swear, at one particular point, if all of a sudden uh, I have a scenario where someone, where I, where I have my, my gals... Uh, being interested in men, and I say, so what's your hobbies, brother? And he goes, I'm a gamer. We are in trouble. But I can tell you, I cannot even explain to you how often the countless hours of wasted time that I have seen people use spending it on searching the internet and being involved in these unreal relationships. They're like, oh, my whole, my whole platoon is, being, is, be, is going out tonight. You're thinking, man, they've been deployed. And then you realize they're putting on the gaming headset. Like, you are not part of a platoon, brother. And your squad isn't gonna miss you. You've got to capture this reality, but I'm telling you, I have watched people spend upwards to 30 to 40 hours of a week in the evening, in the nighttime, and then wonder why they're not a very good worker. I think maybe we got to think about that today. But now the games come in all kinds of varied ways, and, and it's all kinds of distractions. I remember when this distraction for people was Angry Birds. That's a long time. See, I've been around a while. And people just sitting there with that stupid little bird and launching him. And forgetting about life, not thinking about what they're doing. And I'm not saying that there isn't a place for a level of enjoyment of certain things. 
But be careful that your life doesn't become characterized by wastefulness in different ways that these overtake you. I mean, we could, we could talk not only for those who are into movies and into, into gaming, but what social media alone has done where people, and we think about this and we kind of even laugh about it in our own house at times because I'll, we'll be in the same household, everybody's quiet, but everybody's just sitting there. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. It's like, is that you? Like countless hours of wasted, insignificant, you know, scrolling of things that somebody decided to put their, their cat who can be on the piano? That somehow we are so infatuated with things that just are meaningless that we fail to see the priority of using our time wisely. I mean, this doesn't happen just in the social media and the entertainment industry, but it extends for every mom and dad when it comes to sports and school and academics and arts and all of these areas of life where all of a sudden moms and dads will give their children over to a different set of priorities simply to say, well, this, we're going to do this, but we've got to make sure that we get to this. You don't want your team to think this about you. What if your team thought, well, of course they're not going to be here. It's Sunday. <laughs> we know where they're going to spend their time. There has to be a level of balance. That doesn't mean uh, don't take that too far, but there has to be an examination of what you're doing and why, because it will often set a trajectory for where you're going and what you value in this life. Examine your life, brothers and sisters, in the use of your time. Don't only do it there, but also the principle here, not only examination, but maximization of your time. He says this statement, making the best use of your time, or certain translation says, redeeming the time. He uses that word, redeem, in the, in the marketplace kind of terminology, in the Greek language, to talk about going to the marketplace and buying, buying up things. And in this case, the translation is really used metaphorically to describe, which is why the translation says, making the best use of your time. Or if your translation says, redeeming the time. He's trying to convey this message. You better maximize the time that you've been given because it's important to the Lord. When we think about that, it means that we have to, it, it, there is a personal responsibility for this maximization and examination, which means practically this. Not all things you could do, you should do. There are things in your life and in my life today, over this last year, that I could do without, and I would never miss it. But in my own mind, I would think to myself, but what if I didn't, and you've got those too, but what if I didn't spend my time here? You and I have to examine them for the sake of the maximization of a short lifespan here on earth of somewhere Unless you're Norma Green, where you're extended this long life, which we are super happy for, most people get roughly around 80 some years to live. And I think it should say something to you and I like this. Think of your age right now, and think about if you got till you were 80. How much time do you have left? And what are you going to do with it? Because sin marks us with this reality in a depraved world is this one thing. We will not live forever on earth in these physical bodies. We will live forever, somewhere, heaven or hell. But here on earth, we have a short period of time to be used for the Lord. 
So not everything we could do, we should do. This means we have to turn down opportunities, and some of those opportunities might be good opportunities, and you might have to say, you know what, I could do that, but in light of all the things that I know God wants me to do as I investigate my life and he's revealed various things, I'm not going to do this good thing because I'm going to go over here and do this good thing. And I would like you to mark your life with this reality. You and I cannot do everything or be everything to everyone. Which means there are some people and some things you should do and some things you shouldn't. And you will often be choosing between two good things, not just things that are evil and things that are good. That should be a clear choice. That's clear. We always choose the good. But what do you do when it comes to two good things? And now you have to say, you know what, I'm not going to do this because God has already opened the door over here. I'm going to set this aside in order to do what I believe God is calling me to do here. This is why stewards of God's varied grace is significant in the corporate body. Because not everything I could do, I should do, and not everything you could do, you should do. But all of a sudden, God impresses upon each individual's heart a different thing that they should do. And all of a sudden, we have a corporate assembly that is in varied gifts through varied graces using their talents to honor the Lord. But we're doing many different things and reaching many different people in many different places with, all, with the time that God has given to us. Be careful be, to become judgmental as you think about examination, because I know where our darkened hearts go, right? Well, at least I'm not mismanaging my time as much as, and you fill in the blank of that person that you think is so special at that moment. Don't compare yourself to others. Look to the word of God and say, this is my priority. Where am I spending my time? Am I maximizing it in that kind of way? There are two things that I think that you ought to be looking at when you think about maximizing your time. And I think they ought to coincide, they, they ought to coincide with the two greatest commandments. Are you maximizing time that you need to put into your life to know and love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And are you putting into your life and carving out time for people? And I mean real people, not online people. Real people. Real lives, real faces, real bodies. People you're talking to, going out for coffee, sharing Christ, doing all of these things with, with a real God, with a real respect and admiration to him, and a real love for him that spills out over into, into the people that you meet and the places that you go. Maximization for sure should impact at least those two areas. Take time. Take time in your life for people. And I know everybody's busy. People who bear the image of God, who have been redeemed by the grace and mercies of Jesus Christ, is time well spent. I am sharpened by brothers and sisters, by marriages, by people who come and sit at my dining room table and have dinner and those who sit for coffee in my living room and Panera and all the places. And you're thinking, man, he gets out. Don't you want to get out with people? If you find yourself going, nah, loving God, but those people, whew, they're messy. You gotta dispense of that. Because those people are there for your benefit. The corporate body is here for your benefit. Being part of the collective community is critical. Maximizing your time is so critical, and here's one of the reasons why. As we think about it in our last point, when we think about examination, maximization and instigation. What will instigate you to do this even better? You notice he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time or redeeming the time. Now here is the, here is the motivation that will instigate you 
to take this to heart. This is what Paul is getting at. Because the days are evil. There is, by nature in what Paul's saying, a level of eschatological perspective, an idea that time is limited. For example, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, notice this statement. He says, In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He's talking about Christian people and local churches that are living in a present age that is filled with sinfulness. All the meanwhile, while living in that present age that is filled with the prince and power of the air and filled with all kinds of darkness and sin that is at at our disposal to tempt us and derail us, he's saying, and yet there is this holy community of people who recognize the present age they live in and they choose because they have, been, they, have been, they have been given and taken from darkness to light and they live differently in the world that they live, that they are now in the presence of. Why do they do it? Because they know the days of darkness and the days of evil have been limited and bookmarked by the hand of the almighty God. I am so comforted and I hope you are too. That when we talk about living in this present evil age and that we do this because the days are evil, that, there, that God has so sovereignly and graciously marked a time in which no man knows but him when the days of evil will be dispensed and the prince and the power of the air will forever be committed to darkness in hell. And the eternity of the light of God and his son, Jesus Christ, will rule and reign in an area, in a sense, where the lightness is so bright is as if there is, you never have a sunset. Because the light of the gospel and, and the son, Jesus Christ, this, this has been now done away with. Guess what? In 1 Corinthians 15, at the end of all things, when he says, uh, Jesus Christ, after ruling and reigning for all those thousand years in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, at the end of those days, he will, de- he will do away with the last thing that sin has marked upon humanity. It is death itself. He will do away with death itself. And those People who have been redeemed and repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ, they alone will live in heaven with God for all eternity. And I can't imagine what it's going to be like to maximize your time. You won't even have to wonder when the King of Kings says to you, I'd like you to do, just tell me where. (laughs) Tell me when, I'll do it. And our entire existence will be bound by what God, what God has even done away with, in a sense, to give us responsibility to use for his glory and his glory alone. But remember, the corruption in the world is pervasive. If we live our days thinking, well, I need to examine this, I need to maximize it. Well, you need to be instigated by this reality. The world that we live in is a dark place. It's filled with sin and filled with temptation. And if you haven't noticed recently, you're tempted to want to have your eyes look to places that they shouldn't go, to want things you shouldn't want, to do things you shouldn't do. Remember that this present age is not the end. You need your spiritual armor. This is why Paul goes in Ephesians 6 and says, put on the armor of God, because you're fighting a battle that is not just purely physical. It is a battle against not just a flesh and blood, Paul says, but against spiritual rulers in dark places. That's the world we live in, the world in which we'll have to examine our time and say, that is time spent in darker, eviler places, and I must redeem them, and I must spend them as a child of the light. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. I love the ending of that particular verse. 
because we have to remind ourselves, because this is the hope of the gospel. He says, don't love the world or anything that's in the world or any man loves the world. The love of the Father is not him in him. And then he ends it and says, all that is in the world, remember this, is passing away. The stuff you think is so amazing here on earth pales in, a, in, in reality to what you will experience in heaven for all eternity. All the, all the things that you and I have seen in our course of our lifetime that God has allowed pale in comparison to the glories of the Son, Jesus Christ, ruling on his throne from on high, whose seraphs, as we talked about, set ablaze, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Brothers and sisters, you and I only get one life to live. Please, spend it wisely, which means spend it biblically, which means spend it in a way that brings glory to our Father in heaven and to the Son and to the Spirit who indwells you. That your conscience and my conscience would be clear as we set our minds on the things this year to steward our time in a way that is honorable to the most high king of heaven, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, what a high calling for us. You can't but read these words of Paul to the Ephesian church, knowing and feeling and experiencing the weight and the necessity to examine our lives, to maximize the lifespan that you've given to us and that we would be instigated in our lives to remember that the days of evil, but those days of evil are coming to an end because you have, have, have so ordained that we don't have to live in this kind of life forever, that we will one day enjoy perfect harmony and communion with our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, help us to steward our time well. In your name we pray, amen.